Cast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's going on, everybody? Let's go ahead and jump into it. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. Give me the bridge now. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. The best podcast of 2023 is in the house. We're in full effect today. Ringside with Ray Leonard and Prince Daniels Jr. Look, we are here today because we have a treat for you all. Today, we want to bring to you somebody that has been through it all from literally (laughs) evolving and allowing herself to become the woman that she is today. She is a former competitive bodybuilder, a personal trainer, a mental health coach, if you run into her, you might end up having a three-hour-long conversation talk about <laughs> life, of how to evolve in life and how to impact the people uh, that you come across each and every day to make this world a better place. So without further ado, I want to bring in one of my good friends, Rachel Falstrom. Rach, how you doing today, man? It's so good to see I'm you. I'm good. You as well. I, you guys, too. Thank you. Thanks oh, for having welcome. me on this podcast. It's a huge, huge, huge honor and blessing. So thank you both very, very much. You absolutely. Well, her, you know, Rich already came in. She already came in with this infectious energy, Prince. Though you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> she did. She did. She just came back from Hawaii. I think that's why. Man. I, oh, <laughs> there man. You know. It was awesome. I was in Kauai. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's it's. I mean. The hiking, the nature, just it's beautiful. Like there's nothing that makes you remember like how wonderful and creation is until you see something like that. I mean, and just how rich the culture is, like what people believe, um, what the native Hawaiians practice. I mean, it was I made a bunch of friends, a local friends. So they were telling me a lot about the history and culture, which was really special because I think that's something that most people don't probably don't get when they're um, on vacation. So it was really, really cool. I'm I'm going to jump in on that because I know we're going to ask you other questions about yourself and background, but that Aloha spirit in Hawaii, you know, and the the (laughs) island, you know, Maui has has gone through, you know, the the big Mm -hmm. fires. What what did you see for it from the energy of the people, you know, over there? A lot of heartbreak. Um, And it, it, it really like tugs on my heartstrings too. Like, man to see people go through 
you know, because the, the islands didn't become a state until 49, I believe, 49, 59, 49, I think it was. And so their culture is super rich and intact as far as um, pride, but like loving your brother, like they're all a family. Um, uh, but there's a lot of heartbreak, a lot of sadness, a lot of anger and frustration. Um, and just an overall sense of needing and wanting to uh, preserve and save the land and the culture. I think that's the biggest thing um, with what is going on as far as what I saw and, and the natives that I got to speak to um, is just the unfortunate events that are causing people to lose land that was handed down from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation i mean this is native land um so there's just a lot of frustration a lot of sadness and but a lot of anger of you know we need to do something um do you, do you have any connections with uh, hawaii or what's your background um my back so i'm first generation american my mother is born and raised in Korea. Uh, my father is, I believe, fourth generation American. Um, his grandparents are Swedish and Finnish. Um, so I, there's a lot of other stuff on that side too, but I am Korean and white. So Hapa or Asian American or whatever you want to call it, but that Korean, I'm Korean. Well, all right. Let's, 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 let's check her 23 and me. And then right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's jump on in. Have a little so, bit of this. <laughs> a little bit of that. Everything. Your 23 and me is all 23. <laughs> yeah, I, I, saw, I saw I was 30 percent British Irish. I'm like, ain't no oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's the like, hair. That's the hair, Ray. That's, that's the hair. hair. That's the hair. <laughs> you got that hair. Oh my god! So, Rachel, we, we want to jump into um, your life. So you have this unique background. You got a Korean mother, uh, a, a Swedish and Finnish father. Like, what was it like growing up in America for you? And let's let's start. I say middle school, and then we, we we go from there. Sure. So um, my uh, grandparents raised me. So uh, my dad's mom and father, um, they were wonderful and gracious enough to adopt me when I was nine. And uh, growing up in Minnesota in the Midwest, there were not a lot of Asian Americans. I. I think there was one other girl in my class that was Asian. Um, and it was it was difficult for a lot of reasons. Um, I think because of the time as well. So I'm 37. And I think at the time, it was there wasn't as much awareness around different cultures and, and like appreciating them or understanding them. So I got made fun of a lot. Um, I got like the you know, pulling on the eyes, like my last name's Falstrom, which is very Swedish Finnish, but they would try to find a way to make it like Fong or Fong, like something. Um, sometimes they'd call me like chow mein or like, like it's not even the right slur, but sure. Like, okay. But they're kids too. So like, there's no understanding that what they're doing or saying is not okay. Because I also, up until that point, Asians were portrayed in Hollywood and media as a certain way, like 
smart or dumb because of the language barrier, not pronouncing your L's and your R or confusing the L's and the R's, like all of these things. And so as a kid, I started making fun of myself as a way to protect myself. And I remember the first time I ever did it in front of my mother and she's like, why are you doing that? She got so mad at me. And I'm like, you have to laugh about it because if you laugh about it, there's no power in it. And she's like, she did not agree with me um, because she came to the States as 17 years old and had to learn English and really got a hard time, made fun of a lot because of her accent, um, her inability to speak English. So within two years, she was top of her class and speaking perfect English because she felt that pressure, you know, um, or just the, the unfortunate, I guess, discrimination, um, which is a very real thing and in certain places and it's and unfortunately it's um still a very ugly thing in some places and so that was my experience even when i went to new york like we'll go to new york i'd get followed around in department stores they'd assume i was hispanic so even in high school in minnesota they started sending me the hispanic newsletter and i remember sitting in my class and they're like handing me this newsletter and it was like all in spanish and it's this hispanic newsletter and i'm like why am I getting this? Like, I'm the only one in this class getting this. And so I remember going to my uh, high school administration as a freshman and I was a loud mouth. So I was like, not going to let this go. And I was like, is there a reason you gave me this newsletter in my class? They're like, well, yes, that's, you know, part of our uh, Hispanic community. We, and I was like, well, let me stop you right there. I said, what makes you think I'm Hispanic? And they got really quiet. I was like, I'm gonna tell you one thing. I'm Korean and I'm first generation. I am not Hispanic. You never asked me and you sent this letter to me assuming my ethnicity. I said, if I were you, I would maybe double check those things before you just start making assumptions about your student body. And I walked out of the office. In today's society, that would have been like, but back then, like that's all I had. <laughs> my no, mouth. That's, that's, that's an interesting conversation because you know we talk about the stereotypes that people get placed upon them, and how mm -hmm. you know your experiences as a young person affect how you can focus as an adult or how you turn or, or transition into into your adulthood because you have baggage and things that you deal with that sometimes you know you don't know how to how to you know put that to the side like you said here you you use it as laughing. You would laugh and make mm -hmm. fun of it to, to help you cope with it. But a lot of kids, and a lot of people growing up don't understand that or have that. And then, you know, their identity gets pushed mm -hmm. back where they hide that identity. 100%. They want to so what what was that like? And where did you get that strength from to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I am not Hispanic. I am, look, you check my box. You see what I wrote <laughs> over here? I said, not Hispanic or Latino. I, I put other. I put no. other. <laughs> You know, honestly, so my grandma Sue, who's my father's mother, she is an amazing woman. Um, and she always taught me, well, one, she said my nature just in general. She, when I was growing up, she was raising me. She always had books around how to deal with like, like the, the, um, what was it? Like the, the hard nosed, stubborn, like, um, child because, or the strong willed child, because I, I always just kind of naturally had that voice, but she really instilled in me too, because she didn't when she was younger. And he's, even as an adult, she always told me that, that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so, um, but she also said that there's a responsibility in that and, and making sure that when you're picking your battles, you're picking your battles uh, wisely. Like not everything is a fight, not everything is an argument. Um, but 
I just, because of her and her even, you know, trying to read books and like figure out how to communicate and, 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 you know, guide me in, in a way that was both um, loving and, and, and graceful. It was um, teaching me that who you're created to be and who you are is, is fundamental and is important and there's purpose behind it and that you always need to stand up for things. And ironically, um, that I stood up for myself and there was other moments where I did that in my life, but I, I really, you know, because of my background kind of channeled that into other people. So for the longest time, uh, defending myself or, battling for myself really fell by the wayside. But I, I will say in a roundabout way, the only reason, well, not the only, but one of the biggest reasons I am the way that I am is because of, is what my grandmother instilled in me a hundred percent. I love that. I love that. Now the, the, what she instilled in you, one thing I do understand is that from a personal standpoint, whenever you start to uh, work out, and you start to see the change within your body, you gain this level of confidence. And mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things that stuck out to me when I first met you is that you were a former competitive bodybuilder and lifting weights, getting stronger, seeing your physique change, you know, it builds that confidence. What led you into the fitness realm? And were you, did you feel that you were lacking confidence? And you you needed confidence, and you wanted to get to the fitness room and, and compete, or was it just something that that you just naturally gravitated to? Um, so I was not a worker outer. <laughs> my dad was, and so my father. Uh, I got him. I remember a modeling job when I was eighteen, and I was you know I still had the little baby chubby cheeks, and and so he's like, we gotta we gotta get you in the gym, and he's like, just so you feel better, you know. Um, so he started teaching me how to work out, um, and then in college I I ran cross country and you know did that whole thing, but I didn't really start working out and focusing on nutrition until. I made the um, move from LA into San Diego and I did it because I wanted to go someplace where I could meet people that had pride in who they were, but also in their bodies and, you know, weren't huge drinkers because I'm not a huge partier and drinker. Like I'm not going to go to the bar. So I wanted to find friends that kind of had a similar mindset of just taking care of um, your body. So um, I joined a Bible study. And everybody in my Bible study were like, all the guys were huge. The girls were in great shape. I was like, am I in the right Bible study? Like, I don't know if this is, this is like the Bible study for me. Cause here did I am from Minnesota. I'm a, just... a, a fitness Bible study. Like, how did I did. Only in California. I don't know, but it did. It did. And I was like, why are like, I asked them, I was like, why is everybody in such good shape? What do you guys do? Oh, you know, some of us are competitors. I was like, what does that mean? And so when they explained it to me, I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like something interesting and fun. Maybe I should give that a go. Keeping in mind, like the only diet I've ever done in my life was uh, the Atkins diet with my dad. And so, and before then I struggled, you know, with my body image. So I, I went through eating disorders as well. So it was a it was um interesting that my first like really jump into fitness was like all in um without any understanding of of what i was doing <laughs> i really didn't know i didn't know how to do any workout any exercise at all like other than running and cardio you know like the nordic track that's what i used to have the nordic track 
that's not that's not mentioning the Nota track. The Nota track has I'm, been out for I'm a like, long time. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was making a comeback. I thought it was making a comeback. Uh, uh, not 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 when Chuck Norris is getting older. Not when Chuck uh, Norris is getting older. <laughs> oh oh my goodness. Funny. Okay, so like let's let's dive into that. So you were living in LA. And mm-hmm. then you moved to San Diego, you joined this Bible study, the the and they were competitive lift, I guess competitive lifters and praises of God. And now uh what opened you up to just jump in and learn uh about fitness and nutrition? Um <laughs> honestly, I just wanted to do something cool, I guess, or something challenge myself in a different way and really focus on like my health and wellness. Um, And so I just dove in and my dad was really well versed. So he really guided me as far as like supplementation. Um, He was fantastic with that. I mean, the research that went into, um, you know, some of the things that he, you know, like CoQ10 or um, different things to look for um, when it came to supplements, like what to stay away from, like things that, you know, like science is backing, like he was very much that way. And so I had somebody to bounce things off of and my dad was my biggest fan. And so he was like, yeah, kid, let's do this, you know? Um, So I just, I, I guess I just did it to just to do it originally, you know, what, competing anyway. And then I found a love of it, um, a roundabout way I fell in love with it. And um, that's what led me to really take a deep dive into it. Nice. That, no, that, that shows a lot about your your personality, to, to be in a space like that and just jump into something as, as detailed and as hard as competitive lifting. Because, you know, a lot of folks will, will think about, and working out but if you weren't a worker outer and then you go back into it and yeah. <laughs> you know competitive lifting is is disciplined for your diet for your supplements for you know like how, how many times you train during a day so like yeah. to jump right into that that said a lot about you know your, your mental strength and you said that you were a, a, a rough child a child that that was not a, a shy to, to speak your mind no. so you know that that says that says a lot about you know you, when you got to have that kind of strength to do that. So, you know, right. when you first you. got into doing the competitive lifting and you, you had the support of your dad, um, what was it about that sport that, you know, uh, made you want to continue? Because it, it's not the easiest sport. And you said you had, you know, some some body uh, issues, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but then you get everybody looking at your body. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yes, um, it's interesting, right? Um, I... What kept me going, um, my first competition, was wanting to prove that I could do it to myself Um, and to prove that I had the discipline um, because really what it comes down to is not every day you wake up, you're going to feel motivated. Not every day you wake up, you're going to want to. 
and so it was one changing the language of getting to because it is not it's it's not a cheap sport and i was fortunate enough to get to do that right um but a lot of it came down to just discipline and and being focused um so i listened to a ton of, like when i was working out when i was doing my fasted cardio at like 5 a.m a lot of like um, mind strengthening stuff like a lot of um different talks things like that so i could get my mind right um i think i also wanted to prove to myself that i had control over my thoughts and my actions and there's no better way to explore that than do something that completely like i'm from the midwest like give me cookies, like casseroles, like anything in a crock pot, like I'm all about it, right? I love to bake, I love cookies. And so to completely shift and change from, you know, what I'm used to eating into a completely limited um, uh, box was was difficult. Um, but I found a lot of joy in it as well. I, it really made me, I think the, that really helped as well. It's just the, it, it brought me a lot of joy to show how resilient I actually am, not just with like traumatic things, but with things that I do have the control over. Look, b before I pass it over to Ray, uh, I wanted to ask you, so you joined a Bible study. And so mm -hmm. you have a religious background um, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if it came from your father, your, your grandmother, um, your mother, uh, but you, you have a, a, a strong Christian background. And um, and now you're in this competitive sport where it can be a, a, a conflict in terms of like showing off your body. Right. And mm -hmm. some of the some of the uh, the things that you grow up with being in a, being coming from a religious uh, background. Um, how were you able, from a mental standpoint, to uh, um, to to juggle everything, or did you have a hard time, or did you struggle with juggling? You know, is this against my religion? Am I doing the right thing? You know, I'm showing off my body. I shouldn't show off my body. I should stay covered up. So, what was going on in your mind, and what was some of the good and the bad that you were experiencing while you were in that in that sport? I guess I'll start off by saying that um, although my I had uh, my faith, it wasn't like so strong. But even where the where my faith is now today, um, looking back on it, I never had a conflict of whether or not was this too over sexualized? Am I not being modest? Should I be covered up? I never felt that way. I mean, one of the first schools I went to was a private Baptist Christian college. And I remember like everybody looked the same. Everybody was blonde hair, blue eyed, and I was not. And I remember pushing the envelope and wearing like low cut jeans, like belly tops. I got my tongue pierced just to prove a point that it doesn't matter what you look like that defines who you are on the inside. And so I have always like kind of fought against that, but I never had a conflict because I, I think that at the time, I wasn't, what I was doing wasn't about being sexy or over-sexualizing my body. It was all about the sport and pushing my body to a point of, of how awesome is like this journey. You know, the journey is what's great about it. It's you get to the end point and it's awesome, but the journey is what's so fun because it's such, it defines character so much. 
I will say though that my faith kept me from doing maybe some of the other things that some competitors do do. Uh, for example, like the use of uh, steroids or the use of things like clenbuterol. Like I struggled with that and I would always talk to my dad. I'm like, oh, everybody, you know, it's not super common, but it can, people can do it, you know? Um, and, you know, he's like, you know, you have to honor your body. Like, you know, our body is a temple. So like what we put into our body is really important. You know, you should think about that kind of a thing before, you know, you go down that road basically. And so if anything, it wasn't about the modesty, it was about treating my body like a temple and making sure that in this journey, I was being honoring to my body and to the one who created it. Mm. Uh, I, want, I want to follow up on that, you know, cause you talked about, you know, uh, you know the struggles and the journey, um, but you had an eating disorder too. So you talked about, you know, yeah. coming from the Midwest and, you know, the East Coast, we like everything fried. From the South, you well, you want certain things. You like healthy comfort food, and then getting to California and having to eat bland stuff. Like, what was that like to transition to be able to say, "I, I know that I know I have this this issue with with eating disorder, or or mentally, how did that yeah. affect you?" What's going through your head when you have an eating disorder? what's what's going on in, in your heart what's going like what's going on <laughs> what, what 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 leads you to have an eating disorder that's actually a really great question so oftentimes people think that an eating disorder directly is about not liking your body and about losing weight um that is not why i developed my eating disorder at all i was 19 so my grandparents like i mentioned my dad's you know, um, parents raised me. My, my father was a severe alcoholic. When he was sober, he was the best dad. I, I mean, he was my favorite person in the whole world. But when he drank, it was, I mean, not to sound cliche, it was Jekyll and Hyde. I did not know that person. Um, and then my mom and I have a very strained relationship. And it's a boundary that I have put up um, where I no longer am extremely involved with her or that side of my family for mental health reasons and to have healthy boundaries. Um, I think, uh, but I remember the exact moment. I remember the exact, every detail about when I decided I was going to use food and eating disorder symptoms. Um, I went to go visit my mother and for a very long time, um, I was not allowed to be who I was. And what I mean by that is my mother married a Korean man and his grandmother knew who I was, but his family did not. So every time I went to go visit my mother on the East Coast, I had to pretend I was her sister. If I said, mom, my grandmother would answer. My sister would ask me, or not, she never asked me, she'd ask my mom, is that my sister? Like she would find baby photos of me and my mother would tell her, oh, that's you, that's you. And so it was, it was confusing. And so I remember I, it was Christmas time. I was in college. I was 19. I went to go visit my mother. It was New Year's Eve. And some of her Korean friends came, um, her, the family Korean friends came and she came up to me. She basically said I had two choices. I could go along with what, you know, and pretend I was her niece or whomever she needed me to be that day, whatever. Or I could sit in the back room until they left. And at that point, I was so sick and tired of lying because it it directly affects your identity. 
when your parent or your mother, like the one that you're so connected with, is telling you to pretend to be somebody else. I mean, that comes with like a myriad of problems, right? So I remember I said, I'm going to sit in the back room. I'm not going to engage in this. And so I did. And I remember I called my uh, dad and he didn't answer. I found out later is because he started drinking again. I remember I called the guy that I was dating and he didn't answer. And I found out later on it was because he was cheating. And then I called my grandmother, my grandma Sue, who raised me. And she had guests over and she would drop everything. So I knew that if I started to cry or tell her something was wrong, it would affect her. So I just said, I was just calling to say happy new year's. And I remember sitting in that back bedroom. It was my mother's master bedroom. I remember sitting in that back bedroom and thinking, wow, see, you cannot count on anybody. You are alone. You have nobody. And it makes me emotional to think about it because that's not true. You're not alone. You're never alone. But I did. In that moment, I was like, you have nobody. You can only count on yourself. And I made a vow in that moment. I, in that vow, I didn't say, I'm going to start, I'm going to have an eating disorder. But because of the pain that that moment kind of like, it was like the, the volcano, it's erupting. And that was the plug for that volcano. So I, I remember I came back from that trip and I was with all of my roommates at college. And I was a cross country runner for D3 school. And I remember sitting there eating Triscuits after a run, nothing abnormal. And I just had this overwhelming feeling. And I went into the bathroom and I made myself throw up. And I remember thinking, wow, that felt really good. So my eating disorder started as a way to essentially emotionally cut so I didn't have to feel. It was a way for me to control how I felt about the pain in my life. I did not want to feel it. And so that is how that started. And then all of a sudden it turns into about exercising and controlling and, and you know, laxatives and Epicac, all of these things. And it turns into a body thing, but it doesn't start as a body thing, which is really, really interesting. And then when I went into treatment, I was in treatment for a very, very, very long time. I was very sick. And I remember them calling the eating disorder Ed. And they said, it's like being in a toxic, abusive relationship because anytime you do the things that are normal, for example, going out to eat with your friends, maybe not exercising that day because you're tired or all of these things, Ed would be like, well, what are you doing? I, you wanna get fat? Like, so then it turns into this toxic relationship where your mind is completely taken over. You are not you. Like who I was during that time, I was mean, I was nasty, I was argumentative. I mean, I was, it was, it was horrible. It was a horrible, it was a horrible prison that I allowed my pain to chain me into is what that was. And so then it just turned into this thing that was so out of my control and actually came back to haunt me my biggest year that I competed, I think like four or five times in a year. And it came back to haunt me in 2019. It's a really roundabout way, but yeah. <laughs> um. Look, I, I, I'm speechless. Like, one, thank you for sharing that. Oh, because I never knew that. 
And it's just really to, it's it's really amazing to get a glimpse of the visualization that you took us through in terms of what you experienced, the the the, the trouble, you know, because I come from a, 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 a immigrant family and there's a lot of culture in what you do. And there are certain things that shall, shall not be spoken of and you 100%. need to know your place, uh, you know, and and the traditional things like education and and know your place as a child understand that the elders are are the ones that need the most respect and as a child you need to sit down and and be quiet so uh the way that you handled it uh um it was your way that you needed to handle it you know and so i'm super proud of you uh, that you are here because now now in today's society, a lot of kids that would be in your situation would probably just, you know, take their life because the suicide rate is is really high these days. And so yes. mental health, mental health is is something that we definitely touch upon. And uh, and and this episode will allow for our listeners to overcome that 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 part of themselves and learn how to find some coping mechanisms. So, thank you mm-hmm. for sharing that one. Of course, uh, you know, like. Next. So go ahead. I want to add to that because, you know, you, you, talk, you talk about the, the, the trauma and, and campaign yes. and how people deal with it. And then, you know, one of the biggest things is, is your identity. That's one of the mm. things that you know, I struggle with because you know, I was expected yes. to be on TV and, and act a certain way when like for my family, that everything was going great, but it wasn't. And there was a lot of things I had to deal with inside the house. And for a long time, that made me kind of run from who, you know, who I was or struggle to find my own identity. So that's one of the things I think a lot of folks deal with, you know, as you grow up and you learn and you figure out who you are and to, to be comfortable with it. How did you end up being comfortable? You know, I know you went through some some therapy and, and uh, treatments and things like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But how did, how did you how did you get to this point that you're you're back and confident and strong in yourself, or is it still a work in progress? I mean, I think it's always a work in progress. You're never going to be at your at your end point, right? I mean, and you know, I have a very strong faith basis, but in almost every faith, there's there's a, the concept of we are always striving, right? We're never going to reach perfection. Like my family on my Korean side was heavily Buddhist. Like my middle names, I'm named after a Buddhist shrine. Like my middle, my great grandma was a Buddhist priestess. But even in Buddhism, it, it they talk a lot about the idea of enlightenment, right? And we're never going to get there. Like it's, we're not supposed to, because if we ever got to the point of perfection, what would be the point of needing a savior or salvation or grace? There'd be no, there would be no point. And so we're not really meant to be, be perfect. So I'm always a work in progress, but I love that I'm a work in progress because I am able to always strive to learn new things be better who I was in yesterday. And I even, you know, took that mindset into competing to a certain extent of it's not about anybody else. It's about being better than who I was doing those extra reps, all of those things. Right. Um, But what got me to this point, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Therapy. I still go to therapy. I still have a therapist. I mean, I think there's so much benefit in, in talking about things. There are things that I've uncovered that I'm still angry about that I didn't even know because it wasn't time for them to come up. And so I'm actively working all the time. But I will say this. The only reason I am here is God. Not my strength, not my courage, not my boldness, not me. I am so blessed to have a background and a faith that allows me to lean in so much that it gives me the strength I need to go to the next day. It's never by me. It's not me. And I'm so thankful it's not because I think if if I had to rely on my own strength and courage and boldness to be anybody, I would be a mess. I would. I would be a mess. In my prayer today, I was talking about, I said, you know what, God, thank you so much. I was dirty. I was eating out of the gutter. I, I, was, I was in ragged clothing and you picked me up and you wrapped me up and you said I was worthy. That is the only thing in my life that has saved me. The only thing, even when I didn't believe, he still believed in me, 100%. This is amazing. This is amazing. Uh, I, I, I want to I allow for you to have some time to, you know, allow yourself to purge, to let, let, allow for these tears to flow. I mean, this is beautiful. Like, this is really heartfelt, and I feel it. I know Ray feels it. I feel moved by it, you know, and I just want to tell you thank you for being here and thank you for um, actually finding that light within. Uh, can can you give just a, a, a little bit of, uh, of, of, of some of your reasoning and your thoughts behind how you were able to find God, how you were able to find that light within? Yeah. So um, my grandma Sue and grandpa Jerry, the ones that I've been talking about a lot, they raised me in the church. Um, but I had a lot of hard times in the church, not because anybody at the church was making me feel less than or anything like that. Um, but it was, it was more so because of the teachings and because I at that time didn't have the tools to challenge why I believed what I believed that it was really hard for me. Um, one of the big things in the church uh, is like mar- um, sex is for marriage, right? And so it's um, so it, it, at church I like had a, um, did like a I got had a promise ring. I was like I'm going to save myself to marriage, and I had a huge, huge just grapple with God and my faith for a long time because I, I ended up getting assaulted when I was 16, 15, 16 years old. And that was after I had made my promise ring commitment. And I struggled with my faith for a very long time after that because I was like, well, if that's the case, who's going to want me? Again, identity, worth, right? I'm not good enough. Nobody's going to want to marry me. Like, do I have to marry the person who assaulted me? Like, it was so confusing because of my understanding of who God was or yeah, he's not, 
that, you know? Um, and so it, it was really difficult for me for a very long time. It wasn't until about 2015, 2016 that I really started pressing into God a little bit more and in college too, like really, I, I have a theology background. So really challenging. Why do I believe what I believe? Like, is the earth this old? Was there a flood? Like all of these questions, which you have to ask yourself, you have to challenge your beliefs to believe. If you're not asking questions, what are you doing? If you're not asking questions, how are you growing? And so the question that I asked a lot was, why? And I heard this beautiful thing the other day, and I'm, I'm adopting it as my own because I have never heard something so amazingly beautiful, is my why of why did this happen to me turned into a who hurt you, who healed you, who helped you. That's my why. Because I asked those questions and because I was brave and bold enough to go outside the norm of what my grandparents thought they believe, I had to ask why, who are you, God? Why God? Are you real? I are you real God? Like you have to ask, like even it, God doesn't want you to blindly just follow him and like, oh, okay, whatever, whatever you say, no, we're supposed to stand up. We're supposed to be bold and courageous. You can't be bold, courageous and stand up if you're not asking hard questions. Is God real? Was, is, is, is Jesus Christ the Messiah? Who's right? Is it this? Is it that? So me questioning my faith and me moving into that. And then in the last like year, like I had a terrible event happen in 2022. It was like the catalyst of all events, which is why I kind of, I cut off my Korean family and I said, no more. I am not taking this torch and I am not carrying it into the next generation. I'm not going to do that to my children. I'm going to fight the battles that all of you were scared to fight because of what it meant so that my children don't have to fight those battles. I want them to fight their own battles. I want them to do their own thing. I don't want them to fight generations worth of crud. Absolutely not. And so in the last year, I really started to press into God. I think a lot of it too was just what was going on in the world. And like looking at, at just, just the, the nastiness and, and the hate and the anger. It's not even hate. People think that hate is the opposite of love. Just like this indifference towards people this indifference of not caring about anybody because hate means that there was an emotion tied there to the first place. There's hate and love are not opposite. You can hate and, and you can be a loving person and still hate certain things, right? It's an indifference towards people. And then I had to start asking myself and diving into that, why? And I started praying like, God, make the things that hurt you hurt me. Like when people are nasty and angry and icky to people and that's not your will, like, I want to feel that pain too. So I know how to be a better person and a better example of who you actually are, not who people pretend you are or tell people you are. Mm. That's, that's, that's a mic drop moment. And that's, that's, that's so <laughs> profound. Like we, we got to do a, we got to do a part two with Rachel. Like we, we got to do a part two. It's impactful for people. And yes. you know, you're doing, you may not think you're helping people, but you're helping others. 
and the reason why we created this platform um, was to was to help people put through the pandemic at first and keep them laughing and keep connected. But you know now it's also getting bigger that we want to tell these stories. We want to be able to help and heal people. Um, so mm. we love what you're doing. You know, please tell Thank everybody you. where they can find you so we can uh, you know get you back on on the show again and, and uh, yeah. so you can tell you tell more of your story. Yeah. Well, you can find me in San Diego, <laughs> in California. <laughs> but my uh, my Instagram handle is the real RS Fit. Um, uh, that's the Instagram handle. It is private right now, but if you send me a message or you send me a, a follow, like I will absolutely um, approve it. Um, <laughs> She, she, she's going to screen you first. <laughs> I'm gonna, I screen everybody. <laughs> no, I um, I value privacy to a certain extent, and I want the clients to to feel, or the people that reach out to me, also feel that there is safety with me and an anonymity if they don't want, you know, they don't want to be seen. Um, so right now, I'm choosing because I'm kind of segueing my old business into a new one and more mental health and and balance, right? But yep, you can find me on Instagram. That is my handle. Um, you can email me at therealrsfit at gmail.com. Um, and I will get back to them. Absolutely. Whatever they need, even if they just need someone to talk to, like, I got you. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, that's, Fred. that's amazing that's amazing look look rachel we are going to have you back on here for part two oh, because, thank you i would love I mean, that we we have so much more to unfold and we didn't get a chance to go <laughs> into it you know? we didn't even talk about you transitioning into being a trainer you know oh no we didn't know bodybuilder <laughs> and so forth and then but this mental health is uh these mental health issues that you went through your experience mm -hmm. uh, uh the wisdom that you gained from it you, you will be able to impart knowledge and give people a, 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 a map, you know, to navigate through these uncharted territories. So thank you so much for just being vulnerable, being open and sharing your, your, your most uh, 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 private moments, because that's what we need more and more in this world. Because if we don't open up, you know, then the, the younger generation will close up and then they will 100%. harm themselves. And so, so you are doing uh, the good Lord's work. So thank you so much. Thank you. No, made, <laughs> and, honestly, you guys made it super easy. And like, I, I was always taught never to cry in public and like never wear your emotions. So the fact that I'm at a point where I can cry with you guys, like I, it's a big step, but also you guys made it super easy to open up. So thank you. Thank you very oh, much. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. And with that folks, you already know, we're going to go ahead. We're going to have to exit and we're going to have to drop you with what we always say at our show, Ray. Peace. Peace. And power. And power. You gotta have give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In. The Spanish remixes out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Hey there, 
I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.